podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Pro Plus. I'm your host for today, Guy Drinkle. And you know what Pro Pluses mean in the summer? It usually means a signing is happening. And seemingly, I, he may get announced when this pods out, who knows. We are finally in the final stages of announcing a transfer in Alexis McAllister, but we know Nabil Fakir, PTSD, so we won't go too far with it. Um, but I am joined today by Daniel Edwards, who... He's going to give a very interesting insight because, Daniel, you are a Brighton fan based in Argentina, so you cover all the bases today. Hello, Matt. Yes, that is correct. Um, he's been, yeah, he's been the player of the, the year, at least uh, the last six months for for me, covering them two bases. Hmm. So, I, I, would you like to give a bit about your background, or like how you ended up in Argentina and obviously the Brighton connection? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm from, you probably can tell from my accent, I'm down from, I'm from the South Coast. Um, was born in, in Eastbourne, just down the road from, from Brighton, grew up in East Sussex. Um, made the quite drastic shift, um, just after graduating from university to, um, to come down to, to Argentina, um, try my luck, um, you know, a different country, um, uh, uh, try my luck in in journalism. Luckily, you know, um, I've always been able to work out here as a sports journalist. I worked a lot for for Goal and I worked for um, for local media outlets here. Um, always get busy and just uh, just kept out. It really, it's now coming up to fourteen years that I've um, that I've lived in in Buenos Aires. Um, just enjoying the local football, the local culture, and. And trying, you know, whenever I can to to keep tabs with with what's going on back home. Yeah, it must be. Well, we joked before, and you probably see half the Brighton team before they're actually at Brighton, anyway. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, McAllister, Caicedo, now Buonanotte, like you mm. know, always get very excited when when these lads, you know, I've seen at seventeen, eighteen years old, uh, take the jump, and luckily it's working out for for almost all of them. So yeah, really, really fantastic to see. Absolutely, even NCSO, who's been excellent the second half of the season. NCSO, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So, I mean, Alexis McAllister, I think most people obviously joke about him being Scottish and from Argentina, <laughs> but he obviously is from a footballing family with his, with his brothers. I'm not sure if his parents played football, but I know his brothers played or had a similar um, journey through. Is it Argentinos Juniors, is it how we pronounce it? Um, so how, what about his early career in Argentina and how was he seen? Because some... South American prospects, we all know, we like the Hendricks of the world and stuff like that. We all know years in advance and stuff like that. But McAllister probably wasn't one of them, but how was he viewed in Argentina before making the jump to the Premier League? Yeah, as you say, he's absolutely a sporting family. His um, 
His father, actually, Carlos McAllister, uh, played a long time for Argentinos Juniors and for Boca as well. I think he had one cap for the for the national team, which came, funnily enough, um, in that World Cup playoff um, against Australia uh, back in 1993, uh, which was kind of Diego Maradona's comeback. And uh, that got quite a lot of press down here prior to the Australia game now in, uh, in 2022, because obviously his son... Mm. Um, was lining up for for Argentina against Australia. Massive sporting family. Um, both uh, Alexis's brothers, uh, Francis and Kevin, uh, play football uh, at the top at the top flight level in Argentina for Rosario Central and uh, Argentinos, uh, respectively. And I just want to say something about Argentinos as well because um, they like to uh, they like to call themselves kind of el semillero de del mundo kind of the seed bank the nursery of mm. of the world um they obviously they brought maradona into the game uh, riquelme came from there uh, fernando redondo uh just so many top players got their start in this club and and thankfully uh, alexis looks like he's going to be the next one um he actually came up when uh, argentinos were were in the second division um so really kind of flew under the radar there only had really one um, full season for them in the in the first division. Looked impressive, um, but it really was a surprise when when Brighton swooped in for him. I think he was only 18, 19 years old, and they knew he wouldn't be ready then. They they sent him off on loan for for a year to to Boca to just kind of get that first team experience. He wasn't going to get in Argentina. He looked very good at Boca, if not. Well beaten, perhaps. Obviously, he was only still 20, 21 years old um, at that time. Um, and then I think even up to really August, September of this year, he was still a bit of an unknown quantity. He was a guy who who had a decent, good year for Brighton, 21, 22. Um, looked like at least he'd, he made himself um, a regular fixture in that team. But going into the World Cup, he probably would have had him any higher than Argentina's fourth, fifth choice uh, World Cup starter. Maybe he'd get a few minutes in in Qatar off the bench, uh, but he just took his opportunity so well when, you know, uh, Giola Celso got injured, Le- Leandro Paredes was a little bit off his game, De Paul had these um, niggling injuries that affect him a little bit in the in the start of the tournament and him and, and obviously Enzo Fernandez just absolutely showed what they could do and um, went from kind of very promising players who weren't really in the spotlight to, you know, the the biggest commodities out there and um, and credit to him as well. He, you know, he built on, on what he'd done in the World Cup when he came back to Brighton, um, worked so well under De Zerbi when, when De Zerbi started to get his, uh, get settled in after the World Cup and just had a fantastic second half of the season and, and I think now, you know, he's really among those top, top uh, central midfielders. Yeah, he certainly is. And you mentioned he, not breakthrough, because I think he had a couple seasons or maybe a season and a half where, when Graham Potter was in charge. But mm. this seemed to be the first season he settled into a role. But we before we started recording, you mentioned his versatility is probably one of his key things because when I remember his early days in Brighton, he was almost playing as a number 10. Um, the World Cup, which we'll focus on in a second, he was kind of playing as like a wide midfielder, but also helping with the defensive structure. And then later in the um, 
uh, competition when Di Maria came back. He played more as a normal midfielder. So that versatility is really key, but it it's so unique. And I, I saw Adam Lallana compare him to someone like Luka Modric, who we know was a number 10, then became a controlling midfielder. So that versatility, was that something we saw in the early days of in Argentina or was um, Argent- Argentina's juniors days more, he was a set role or was that versatility something we saw early on? Yeah, I think so, because um, when you're playing for a team like Argentinos who don't have a big budget, usually kind of scrabbling for players to um, to fill up the team between, you know, these kids coming up and a few free transfers, a few loans from, from the bigger clubs. Um, I think you have to be versatile because basically it's necessity dictates it. Um, you can't just say, right, I'm going to play this one position, especially as an 18-year-old, because Argentinos, you know, they have a couple of injuries and they might send you on the right wing. They might send you on the left defensive midfield or up front. Um, but I think that's definitely what happened with Alexis. He was a guy who everyone could see had the ability to, um, to play these different roles and he slotted in all over the pitch for Argentinos and, and to a lesser extent with Boca, uh, who obviously a little bit more uh, financially stable and, and with a, with a deeper squad. Um, mm. And perhaps for that reason, if you kind of just look at Alexis's raw numbers from that uh, that period they don't immediately stand out with you to you as you know as a goal scorer as an as an assist maker but it was really a trial by fire a, a brilliant apprenticeship because he just learned you know even if he's playing attacking the field that he can't uh, lower his tempo he's got to go after the ball he's got to make tackles and if he's playing further down the pitch he still has to get up make the make the big passes and get onto the edge of the box um, to be effective. And it seems to be a lesson he's really taken to heart. And obviously playing for a team like Brighton as well, who who are very similar in that they demand of their players that they're dynamic, that they can fulfil more than one role. Um, And he's just really come up to it. And I think it's going to really hold him in good stead for um, for, um, uh, this next stage of his career. Yeah, absolutely. But let, let's go back to the highlight of his career, and that's the World Cup. Now, the World Cup was a very weird time for Argentina because obviously started with the Saudi Arabia result, then mm. it was the scrappy group stage. But when Argentina finally settled into the tournament and rescued the, the Saudi Arabia result, it was probably on the back of McAllister came in first, if I remember correctly, then Enzo Fernandez rejoined him in midfield, and that seemed to be when the stage was set for Argentina to become the one of the favourite tags they had before the tournament. Now, um, maybe this could have been an Enzo podcast one of these times, but no, he moved for a lot of money to Chelsea. But McAllister, I mean, if you want to combine him with Enzo, feel free. But his role in the World Cup, I mean, it's always a mark of great good players when they get trust by really good players, never mind, for my money, the greatest of all time in Messi. But he's seen them two, Enzo and McAllister, seem to earn the trust of Messi really quickly. Um, is that something we... I know it was early in his uh, national team career, but is that something we saw quite early on in his um, national team career? Is, is a bond with Messi and trust from Messi? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But um, I think you can say that about a lot of this team, which has come through kind of in the next... in the last uh, four or five years, as it is now... Um, under Lionel Scaloni, who 
it was basically as much of a novice as coach as any of these players were mm. on the pitch. Um, and it's a great virtue, I think, on Messi's that, um, you know, he didn't for us drop after the 2018 World Cup. He didn't think, oh, this, this isn't going anywhere. He made the effort to, to take in all of these guys who, you know, had almost no experience at international level and just welcome them all into the setup along with guys who had a little bit more experience, your Di Marias, your Atamendis, um, who a lot of people thought would never have a chance of even making the 2022 World Cup um, after what had happened in in Russia. Um, and I always think kind of Argentina's greatest strength in, uh, in this World Cup that's just gone was their team spirit, how all of these players just seem to come in and instantly gel with the team. They're, you know, laughing and joking and, and singing the whole way through. And definitely, I think Messi just as this towering sample and someone who was prepared to take all of these kids, all of these young players under his wing, he had so much to do with that. And you can just see um, from just before the World Cup, you know, the two years before the World Cup and these six months, seven months afterwards, just how much these, all of these guys have grown um, uh, since breaking into the national team, not just McAllister, the guys like Julian Alvarez, like Fernandez, as we mentioned, um, They've just, uh, Lisandro Martinez, of course, uh, they've just taken huge strides and it's definitely, um, you know, part Scaloni making for such a great atmosphere in the Argentina team. And of course, Messi, who everyone just seems to adore in the Argentina team and they, they would almost die for him. It's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, I remember, I think it was, the, I can't remember which game it was, probably maybe the Croatia one where they were saying how, how they would joyfully do the running for him, which mm. obviously Messi being amazing at football, there is certain players you can carry off the ball. And I'm thinking Messi is one of them. But yeah. in terms of McAllister's role for the team, I, I mentioned it changed a couple of times during the tournament, probably with Di Maria's fitness more so than anything. Um, what 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 did you take his role as? I mean, obviously we mentioned the versatility, but what, what was his key attribute in, in the tournament? Yeah, I think, as you say, he, he moved around a little bit, but I'd say his kind of primary role on uh, this Argentina team was as kind of an auxiliary midfielder almost um, and almost always on the left side of um, of a midfield three. Um, and so what he did, he had license to cut inside because he often had uh, Di Maria or Julian Alvarez outside and further up and he had Marcos Acuna or Talia Fico behind him. So... Knowing kind of the left flank was was covered, he was given that freedom to to go inside to make the diagonal runs towards the penalty area and just kind of keep close to um to the holding midfielder playoff uh, whoever happened to be in that role into Fernandez or Leandro Paredes, um, and really just keep the midfield ticking over and and give Argentina's uh, team kind of that thrust that. Um, really quick transition from from defence to attack, right? When McAllister picked up the ball in midfield, he knew exactly where to find um, the guys behind him or the guys around him, the guys in front of him, um, and just kind of used the ball very intelligently. Wasn't afraid to, to put in the hard work either, kind of going back, marking and, uh, and, and keeping the other team quiet. Uh, just a really useful player to have in the middle of the pitch, Knew his role really well, kind of wasn't quite attacking or quite defensive, but incorporated a little bit of those um, those two aspects, and and it just came off really well for um, for Argentina, and and I think 
you know, obviously uh, that merit belongs to McAllister, who, who was just fantastic throughout the World Cup. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, he really was. I think as soon as he got in the team, he proved his worth instantly and he was never getting taken out of it again. Because did Di Maria miss most of the knockout stages and then it was a debate how he'd get back in, wasn't it, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I know um, at least two of the knockout matches he was unavailable and and the big question was, would he be able to get back for the final? And, you know, and would Argentina even need him, you know, given how how well the team had, uh, mm-hmm. had functioned up to that point. And obviously, you know, Di Maria in, in finals for Argentina or Di Maria just in big games when fit for Argentina, he can always make the difference and he showed mm-hmm. it again against France. But um, the fact that they were able to to compensate for that absence in, you know, really tough games uh, through, the, um, through the knockout stages, you know, Croatia reigning uh, World Cup finalists, Netherlands who had looked very solid, um, I think, it says a lot about just how flexible, how how uh, how uni- unified this team was, and um, and Alexis's emergence definitely uh, played a big part in that. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of future for for Argentina, do you think he's one of the staples of the teams now? It's only been friendly so far, and I'm guessing it. Wait, I've got it open with me. It's just friendlies coming up as well. Yeah. Um, so do you, we won't probably know till the copper, I imagine, but. Um, would you think he's now a staple in the first eleven for uh, for Argentina? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's his place to lose now um, on on the left side of that midfield three. Um, obviously, he's never going to be able to rest on his laurels. He knows that a few bad games or an injury is going to um, give the chance to another of these fantastic players that Argentina have in in midfield, and and just like he did, um, they might well take it. But as it stands. He has definitely got a massive role to play for Argentina in the coming years. I think if all just goes well, he avoids injury, avoids any slumps. Um, he's going to be an absolute linchpin in that 2026 team, which is going to go to the United States, Canada and Mexico. Um, and yeah, any future Argentina can see at the moment is is going to have McAllister in. There's no doubt about that. 
Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I've I've missed having an Argentinian at Liverpool since Mascarano. <laughs> I love Mascarano when I was growing up. <laughs> He's my favourite. Like, everyone loves Javi Alonso, and I was like, no, I like the mad. I like the mad. I do two foot people. <laughs> um, but let's go. Let's go to his Brighton days, and I mentioned it's. Not a turbulent season for Brighton, that's the wrong word, but I'll go with it. Obviously losing Graham Potter when he was so settled there for for a good few years. Um, and then getting to Zerbi, who seemed to build on everything Potter had put in and just put a bit more attacking impetus on it. He McAllister seemed to go up another level around the World Cup, but also when Deserby came in. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think, as I said before, all credit to him because he had that grueling, grueling World Cup with um, you know seven games in a matter of weeks. The travel to uh, to Qatar, coming back, um, and you know having to come down. I think from the elation of the of winning a World Cup, uh, it's not easy to do. Um, and he was just so professional, so down to earth, in you know taking the celebrations um, and then just slotting into. Um, to his role at Brighton, which uh, which I think sometimes you know it's not a, a luxury role at all. Um, he does a lot of graft as well as as the more pretty stuff in the middle there with Moises um, Caicedo. Um, really does form the link between uh, Brighton's defence and attack. Very similar to what he does with Argentina, just getting that team going, putting his you know putting his foot on the ball in the middle of the pitch and looking for the guys you know. Brighton have a lot of um, kind of explosive players who can work around him and then kind of continue in his way um, into the penalty area. Uh, and it seems to just be something he was very comfortable doing. Um, didn't get phased at all by the pressure, you know, of being a World Cup winner at a team like Brighton and, you know, suddenly being the guy everyone's going to turn to. Uh, he seemed to really thrive in it. He just comes across, you know, as this really down to earth, really unfazed kind of character who, who just kind of lets the worries of the world wash over him if you know what I mean um, and I think that's encouraging too because obviously um, playing at Brighton is one thing but the pressure at Liverpool is going to be a big big step up um, I imagine you know that Liverpool are going to try and use him in a very similar um, uh, role to what he played at Brighton um, and I can't see why well, he wouldn't thrive because, as I said, he just every challenge he's had at the moment, you know, might take him a bit of time, but he's he's faced up to it and he's managed to, um, uh, to meet it. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's delve into the role. I mean, at Brighton, he seemed to play two main roles, to my eye anyway. He was a number 10 at times. Mm. And then when lads like Evan Ferguson and that broke through and, and a couple more attacking options, he seemed to move back a bit deeper. Um, you mentioned Moises Caicedo earlier on, and M2 off the top of my head, except maybe Man City. I'd say they're probably one of the best duos in the Premier League, or certainly one of the best midfields in the Premier League. Now, which, which role do you think suits him best, or do you think it would be a mistake to almost shackle him to one role? Because as like that controlling midfielder who sits next to the defensive-minded Caicedo. I think that's probably what suits the Liverpool team best. But do you think him being versatile enough to move into like a number 10 in the middle of the game is one of his best attributes? Or do you think develop him as this controlling midfielder and just let him blossom type thing? Yeah, I think personally, um, wherever you can have him, where he's more involved in the game, is only going to work out better for your team. Um, 
obviously he's had a lot of success playing in this number 10 role while playing just off the off the striker. You know, he's got a great shot. He's got a great eye for the pass. But, I mean, I wouldn't say he's wasting that position because it's obviously not a waste, but the more you can get him involved in the game and just running the tempo, looking for the passes, you know, linking up with another centre midfielder to, uh, to keep the team, the team going, I think that is uh, to the benefit, the benefit of your club. You want him on the ball and you want him, you know, making 80, 90, 100 passes a game. It's something he does so well and you want him squeezing out the other team's attacking players because it's something that he can do as well. Uh, just get the most out of him. He's If he's a complete midfielder, use him in that role where he's going to see as much of the action as possible, definitely. Yeah, I think there's definitely a role in Liverpool's midfield. And if, for people, obviously Liverpool fans listening to this will know, but we have the three defined roles, or we usually did before this end of season tweak with the Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield thing, but we used to have Fabinho, who you'd compare more to Moises rather than... Um, and then to Alexis. Then we'd have Tiago, which I think this role is probably what he'll be most comfortable in. But by the sound of it, you mentioned his front-throated pressing numbers, and that's what you'd probably associate with Jordan Henderson. So out of our two roles, I mean, would you see it? It's weird because <laughs> the Henderson debate, I'm sure you've probably seen Liverpool fans on that. It's very... Uh, it's a big debate, but right. do you see him as the Henderson replay or successor, or would you see him in the Thiago mould in our ideal team? I mean, it's going to be a tough one. I think it's going to obviously depend on um, who's available to Liverpool. You know, um, I think Thiago Wright has had his problems with injuries and yes, unavailability. Yes. Uh, so perhaps at the start, just you know, via the process of elimination, you might be seeing McAllister a bit more. In an attacking role, just to uh, just to fill that that gap. Um, but I think either role, he's um, he's not going to be phased by. He's going to be able to take it on, and perhaps not quite, you know, not quite offer the same levels of creativity as Thiago at his at his best would, or mm-hmm. not be quite as much of a grafter as Henderson. But definitely, you know, offer a different dimension in both of those two roles, and. Um, than the other guys uh, have at the moment, if um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously linked with every midfielder in the world, so we, we don't even know who will be at the club by then. <laughs> <Right. laughs> um, but it, I'm not sure where to go next. I mean, I, don't, I know where we'll go. But end it on a strange note. Obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of South Americans, they have the big dream of joining one of the big two Spanish lads. Is that... Could that become a concern? I mean, it's always a, the dreaded question when you sign these lads, but Liverpool have kept quite a few of their, mostly Brazilians. Um, but if Real Madrid, who we know, aged uh, aging midfield, and if Barcelona ever get over their financial duties, w- would that be something of a worry for Liverpool fans? It, it, but it, Or enjoy him whilst we've got him type thing. It's an interesting question, definitely. Um, you know, I can't say I have any uh, particular information on, on whether McAllister dreams of playing for Real Madrid or dreams of playing for Barcelona. Um, what I would say is, you know, almost all of these young Argentine lads have grown up watching Messi at Barcelona. So I think that club always has a little bit of a soft spot in their heart um, for all Messi achieved there mm-hmm. um, and just uh, how how connected I think it is to, to Argentina. Um, I don't think... Uh, 
you need to worry just yet. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if if he goes on to have two, three, four brilliant years at Liverpool, these clubs, you know, these super clubs uh, are always looking and and will try and throw some money at you. Um, but you know that also means he he would have been a sparkling success at Liverpool. So yeah, yeah. so it doesn't sound like too much of a downside to me. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be kept up at night by by that possibility at the moment. No. No, that's a very good point. And just to finish, um, the rumoured price seems to be quite low. I'm not sure if it's just Liverpool journalists trying to report the lower half of the deal, and obviously there might be add-ons and stuff like that. But £45 million seems to be the reported number-ish. I mean, one, does that surprise you as a Brighton fan? Or do you think his new contract he signed may have had one of these release clauses that isn't a release clause, and that's why it's a favourable deal for him? I mean, it's an eye-opener, definitely. Um, you know, a top Premier League player going from one club to another for less than 50 million is always going to be a bit of a surprise. You know, uh, I don't have first-hand information. What I've kind of been reading around the Brighton world uh, mm-hmm. is that even Brighton were taken a bit by surprise at what he did at the World Cup. You know, this contract was signed before then, thinking, you know, oh, he's going to have another decent Premier League season it will, and... That would be a, a fair price for him. And then suddenly, you know, he comes back with his winner's medal and and he's the toast, <laughs> of, um, toast of the Premier League. So uh, probably didn't, I don't know if they they saw that one coming, even in their wildest dreams. Um, but, you know, still for a club like Brighton, 45 million, you're, you're never going to put your nose up to it. And and we all know they're going to come down here again in in a month and pick up three more kids for, for five million apiece. And... And they'll probably be uh, in McAllister's situation this time next year. So and you'll be back on this podcast, <laughs> and I'll be back talking about the next one. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but I mean, just as we finish up, your final thoughts on the deal and wh- whether you think he'll be a, a success at Liverpool. I mean, I'd love to see him stay at Brighton a little bit longer. It, it feels like this team has got a lot of potential to grow. Um, you know. Fantastic Premier League season, um, getting into the Europa League, and yet you kind of felt that if they just they kind of kept the the silly losses down, the games you know where they had the other team up against the wall for for the entire game and still yeah, ended up so. losing, um, just not putting their chances away, could have been even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and see where that would have taken them uh, next year. I think McAllister, obviously, you know, joking aside, is is going to be a big loss for this team, and and even more so if Caicedo also also leaves. But um, you know, it's something I'm used to. I must say, because uh, I watch uh, a lot of football here in Argentina, and you just get used to the fact that nothing's forever. You know, these these young kids come through in your club, and you know you've got to enjoy them for two or three years at most if um, if they're doing well because. Uh, because if they do well, European clubs are just going to come in. And that's the model. You you know, you have the fresh cash coming in. You can develop the next talents. You know, my team, Racing, had it uh, with Lautaro Martinez, who we absolutely adored as a teenager. And now, you know, going to be rooting for him to to do well in the in the Champions League with Inter. It's just part of the game. And all you can do is wish these, these guys well. Hope that they just carry on uh, in the same vein and... And don't forget, you know, where they came from and, and you know, keep keep a little bit of Brighton or a bit of whoever in, in their hearts. Like, Yeah, 
Yeah, no, it is really good. Brighton doesn't seem to be ones that holds grudges as well, so there's always that uh, nice return um, to the Amex as well. It's not one of those where you're a former player, I must hate you type type mm. deal. So <laughs> be, hopefully you get a nice reception uh, when when and if this goes through. Um, but we'll finish up there. So thank you, Daniel, for, you, for your expertise there. And thank you, everyone, for listening. There'll be more on Alexis McAllister coming up throughout the week. And don't worry, it's not me hosting. You get the two Daves, and I'm sure other people will, will jump in um, as more is revealed about the deal. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.